take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, we are going to be in chapter 16, Luke chapter 16. Praise the Lord. Today I want to talk to you about life lessons from a shrewd servant. Life lessons from a shrewd servant. We're going to be reading in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward or a manager. And an accusation was brought to him, to this rich man, that this man, his steward, was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, after I'm fired, they may receive me into their houses. Who's they? Friends, people that he knows. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him. Did you hear that? He called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master, now look at this, the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt Shrewdly, everybody say shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. This is a strange story, I'll admit that to you, and and I've always had a hard time really putting this into practical application. Kind of strange, kind of an odd statement there at the end where the master commended the unjust steward because of his shrewdness. So here we have this, this wealthy uh, business owner, this wealthy guy, and he has this manager or this steward who is overseeing his goods. And the manager that is stewarding the master's goods is about to be fired because it's discovered that he's been wasteful and unprofitable to the master. So the master basically gives him a two weeks notice, he says, get your books in order, Come back, report to me, because I'm going to fire you in two weeks. Now, most of us probably realize that that wasn't a really good move. The master should have fired him on the spot, right? He should have probably said, I want your keys. I want all the books right now. Probably should have had him escorted to the exit, right? And sent him on his way, and that would be the end of it, because Some people, when they know that they're going to be fired, they will sabotage the organization. How many understand what I'm talking about? Right? Which is exactly what this guy did. He goes to people who owe the boss money, and he gives them these huge discounts. In fact, every one of his boss's debtors, we have an example in two of them. One of them, he gives them a 50% discount on their debt. Another one, he gives about a 20% discount on on his debt in order that those debtors would be beholden to him. They'd have a sense of obligation to him after he's fired, and that they will take him into his, their homes or into their businesses or give him a job or, or whatever. 
Okay? And this was very shrewd. Everybody say shrewd. It was very shrewd. And what's strange about this story is that the master commends him for his shrewdness. Now, there is actually a very powerful lesson in that very strange action. And it's a, it's a lesson about competence in the kingdom of God. But before we get into that, which I'll explain in a moment, because this is Career Consecration Sunday, I don't want to step over a, a very practical truth for us today. And it's simply this. Incompetence leads to unemployment. <laughs> Hello? It's a very simple lesson, and I don't think we should step over that, especially as we're talking about consecrating our careers to the Lord. And when we look at this servant here, we see several signs of incompetence which we should avoid ourselves. Let me go through a, first, a few of them. Number one, incompetent, incompetent people lack the necessary skills to get the job done that they've been hired to do. And this was his real problem, incompetence. It doesn't say he was stealing. It doesn't say he was embezzling. It says in verse 1 that he was wasting his master's goods because he was incompetent. And that's what got him fired. His management skills were not productive. They were not profitable. Every dollar paid to him, or denarii paid to him, was a dollar that was wasted. That's incompetence. Incompetence basically means that you can't get the job done. You can't meet the essential targets. That you can't achieve the important goals. That you can't fulfill the deadlines that are being assigned to you or stay on budget. That your work quality is poor or at least mediocre. And if that's you, if that's the kind of work product you are generating, then understand something. You are, in the eyes of your employer or your supervisor, a depreciating asset right? So in terms of employment, all of us who are employed, we are, either, we are either appreciating our value to our leader, or we are depreciating our value to our leader, right? And a depreciating asset means that we're losing value. And what do we do with, with depreciating assets that lose value? What do we do with them? Right? We fire them. Or as I like to say, we free them up for other opportunities, we don't fire anybody. We tell them, I think we're limiting you here. I think we're really holding you back. We need to free you up for other, for other uh, opportunities, right? So if you are decreasing as an asset, you need to start increasing your value. You need to learn skills. You need to study. You need to get a mentor. You need to submit yourself to some accountability, right? So that's number one. Incompetent people lack the necessary skills. Number two, it says there in verse one, that an accusation was made about this servant. The people around this servant did not speak well of him. So number two, incompetent people do not get along well with others. People around them don't trust them, right? These incompetent people have a certain reputation of being unreliable and inefficient, and people don't want them on their teams, right? And listen, if you can't get along with the people around you, if you're not building trust, with the people around you, then you will become a liability. There was a recent survey that was conducted by Career Builder 
Yahoo.com, and it revealed that 77% of employers were seeking candidates with highly developed soft skills. Soft skills, right? People skills. And the abilities of employees to interact well with others are becoming, even today, more important than technical skills, right? So people skills, emotional intelligence, the ability to read others and to pivot off of their reactions and their emotions is crucial in the workplace, right? So we need to start working on our people skills. Tell somebody he's talking to you right now. You need to work on your people skills, right? Learn how to build relationships with others. Take time to meet with people, to, to talk to them and listen to them, right? And to ask their opinions and give other people opportunities, right? Amen? Then in verse 2, it says that the master called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? So the master said. It's interesting that the boss immediately believed what was reported about this servant and didn't question it. Isn't that interesting? He didn't guard the steward from accusation. He immediately threw the guy under the bus, right? Which tells me that there was a breakdown in the relationship between this steward and his boss, his master, which is number three. Incompetent people do not relate well to their leader, to their boss. And when you're in a position of supervision, it's not just about managing those under you, it's about also managing those who are over you, or more specifically, managing your relationship with them, right? How well do you relate to your upline. Now, some people say, well, my boss never talks to me, doesn't share important information with me, leaves me out of the loop, right? And they make it seem as though the boss is somebody who is unreliable or deficient in some way. But I have to ask, have you done anything to undermine the trust that your boss wants to place in you? Are you a complainer? Are you a criticizer? Are you gossipy? Do you build a consensus against his, his or her opinions or his you know, programs or policies? If you do that, then you're going to become someone who is not trustworthy and unreliable in your boss's opinion, and you know what? It's going to leave you out of the loop on some things, right? So the third thing is incompetent people do not relate well to their leader. Verse, verse 3 says that the steward, realizing that he's going to be fired said within himself, now look at that, the steward said within himself, what shall I do? Most of us are aware in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, where it says that there is safety in a multitude of counselors. But this guy had no counselors but himself. Do you get the sense that this guy was a loner? You get the sense that this guy really had no one that he could turn to, you know, for, for counsel and advice, right? No one to listen to. He had no way to receive feedback in his life until it was too late and he was getting fired. So number four, incompetent people do not have a teachable spirit. They do not take advice. They are not approachable. 
That's what I see in this guy. A lack of, of, of teachability. A lack of being open to advice, right? A lack of being able to seek out input and feedback from trusted friends. He had no one that he could go to, no one that he could ask, what am I doing wrong here? Why are things falling apart here? Why is everyone against me? Why doesn't the boss want me to be? He didn't have anyone to turn to. And the only person he could turn to was himself, right? That's what it says. The steward said within himself. And then verse 3, he says, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. Well, why can't you dig? Amen? What's wrong with digging? I had five kids, four sons, one daughter. My sons love to dig. Sometimes we just say, go out and build, dig a hole. Now fill it in. Now dig one here, <laughs> right? What's it? Why can't you dig? I think digging is a core competency that we all should have, right? But he said, I can't, I can't dig, right? I can't beg. Another way to say this is, is, is this. I'm too lazy to work, and I'm too proud to ask for help, which gives us insight into this man's character, which is number five. Incompetent people are weak in character. Competence is not just about skill sets. It's not just about technical uh, competencies and skills, right? It's also about character. It's also about character, right? This guy was lazy. He had a poor work ethic. He's probably the kind of guy that always avoided the hard stuff, that left the difficult tasks for somebody else to do. He was the guy that didn't show up early, didn't stay late. He was the guy who saw something that needed to be addressed, and he kind of backed away from it, put his hands in his pocket, said, oh, I'll let somebody else do that, right? wasn't making himself valuable. He was not an appreciating asset in that way. And he's a little proud. Wouldn't ask people for help. Too proud to do that. Probably the kind of guy who would get defensive, right? Who would res resist counsel, who would resist advice, right? If there was a problem on the team or something didn't, didn't get done, he'd be the first guy to say, not my job. How many love it when somebody says that? Not my job. I don't own that. I'm not responsible for that. You can't count on me to take care of that stuff. That's not in my portfolio, not my job, right? There's a lot of people that are out there like that, and it speaks to their character. And this lack of character made him a low-value, depreciating asset. And when you are a low-value, depreciating asset, you become low-hanging fruit. How many know what low-hanging fruit is? Right? That's the fruit that's easiest to pluck and to, and to take off the tree, right? And when cutbacks need to be made, when restructuring needs to occur, management always knows who is low-hanging fruit. Who's the one that brings the least amount of value to the organization, and that's usually who they go after. Don't allow yourself to become low-hanging fruit. Amen? And then in verse 4, he says, I have resolved what to do. I know what to do. I figured it out. After I'm fired, I'm going to go and do ABC. And so then he has this plan of what he's, what he's going to do. This scheme, this shrewd scheme, right, that he is going to put into place, right? So instead of admitting that he's wrong, instead of saying to his, to his employer, I realize I made a mistake, I'm sorry, I've learned. How can I change this? How can I fix this? What can I do to make this right, right? Instead of doing that, what does he do? He figures out a way to game the system in his favor. 
which is number six. Incompetent people resort to politics and manipulation to succeed. Instead of learning, instead of building competencies, instead of admitting his deficiencies, right? These people, incompetent people, will scheme up ways to build alliances against the leader or build a consensus against policies. They'll work behind the scenes. They'll complain. They'll criticize. Instead of increasing their own value and presenting alternatives and solutions, right? What do they do? They manipulate people. He went behind the, 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 boss, the boss's back. He met with all of his people, and he said, my master has been charging you too much, but I understand your situation. I'll help you. I feel your pain. And so they work behind the scenes, and they po get political, and they try to twist and control and game the system to their own benefit. How many have ever seen that where they work? Anybody here? Yeah. Not here, Pastor Linda. Not. <laughs> and then in number five, it says, after he came up with this scheme, he goes on to call, now look at this, to call every one of his master's debtors to himself. Here he is going behind his boss's back to work a scheme that is advantageous for himself. And this is the seventh and the last um, quality that I'm going to give you of incompetent people. Number seven, incompetent people undermine their leader's authority. Never is a person's integrity tested more than when they are out of sync with the leader. When they're not in agreement, they're not in alignment. How do they navigate that? How do you go about that? How do you resolve that? Now, I'm not one to advocate for becoming a sycophant and just becoming a yes man or a yes woman. I think that there's a way to address disagreements that are ethical, that are appropriate, and that are credible. How do you navigate that when you're out of alignment with your leader? Do you gossip? Well, not me. I... I would, I, would, I would never gossip. But, I, you know, people do come to me and share with me their, their concerns. Well, what is it about you that makes people feel comfortable to bring their gossip to you? What have you been messaging, right? What, what have you been kind of communicating to those people? Maybe not verbally, but maybe by the way you nod and the way you listen and the way you allow, right, backbiting and gossip to continue on, Right? Incompetent people undermine their leader's authority. Understand something. It takes How many people does it take to gossip? Two. One with a mouth and two, and a second one with a pair of ears. Okay? Just because you're not the one with the mouth doesn't mean you're not gossiping. Hello? Right? Competent people shut it down. They shut it down. They tell them, you're talking to the wrong person. If we have a disagreement, this is not the way to go about it, right? You need to go talk to the person or the leader or the boss, the person with whom you're having the disagreement, right? Now, loyalty doesn't mean you can't disagree. Disagreements, questions, I believe, strengthen the credibility of leadership. 
When leaders allow themselves to be questioned, when leaders then are forced to answer those questions and provide more information, all it does is make that leader stronger. And all it does is strengthen the team and promote unity. Amen? Right? So sometimes you might be on a team and you might be out of alignment, not so that you can undermine, but so that through a credible and ethical way, you can bring your concerns to the leader and give that leader the opportunity to speak to those concerns. And in doing so, what do you do? You build trust with your leader. Amen? Okay? You build trust with your leader. You strengthen the team. And you also strengthen the credibility of the vision, the program, the policy, whatever it is that, that, that you're going Right? So it's, more, it's not about disagreement. It's more about how you disagree and how you raise questions. Right? A spirit of humility, a spirit of respect, right? Amen? Okay? And this is what, listen, man, most managers don't expect everyone to agree with them. They know people are going to disagree. And, and good managers, secure managers, welcome disagreement because they know it just sharpens them and makes them stronger, right? What most manager, managers are concerned about is how you disagree with them. Amen? Right? Okay, amen. So, this is how, a couple, couple of points on how we can increase our value in the workplace. But this story also shows us how we can increase our value, our competence, eternally in the kingdom of God. Let me explain that. So, this steward knows that he is about to be fired, so he goes and he does something really shrewd. Now, get that statement. Let me say this again. He knows that he's about to be fired, that something is going to happen to him. So he goes and he does something shrewd to prepare himself for what he knows is inevitable. So that after he's fired... He will have some friends who will give him a place to live and work, right? So verse 5, let's read it again. He called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Verse 7. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of weep. And he said, Take your bill, write eighty. So the master, now look at this, the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. And if that's not strange enough, he goes on, Jesus goes on to say this, in commending the actions of this steward, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Now what in the world is Jesus trying to say? Well, let me back up and give you a little more explanation. The Greek word that is used here for shrewd is phrenemos. And phrenemos means prudent or sensible, to prepare wisely. It's, it's prudence and wisdom in a very pragmatic sense. To prepare wisely for a difficulty in the future. Okay. Now, more specifically, to be shrewd means giving yourself an advantage putting yourself in a favorable position so that you will benefit in that future difficult situation. In this context, the servant knew something difficult 
was ahead of him, so he prepared himself in order to have an advantage in that situation. And this is what Jesus was commending him for. Not necessarily that he undermined his boss and demonstrated incompetence in these other areas, but Jesus was commending that he saw what was coming and prepared himself for it. That's the issue. That's the lesson. That's the point that Jesus is making. He's saying, you people in the world, you are shrewd when it comes to temporal earthly matters. You know how to anticipate future challenges and and losses that are about to come and how to position yourselves favorably to face those challenges, right? He says it even in verse 8. He says, the sons of this world are shrewd in their generation. The people of this world, unbelievers, sinners, they use the resources they have, their unrighteous mammon, to position themselves for a favorable future in difficult times ahead. They use every scheme, they use every investment, they use every relationship, they leverage it, they twist it, they utilize it because they are preparing, everybody say preparing. They are preparing themselves, positioning themselves for what they know is to come. And while commending them for their shrewdness, right, in the way that they operate in this broken world, He contrasts that with the sons of light, with God's people, with us. And he says the sons of this world in their unrighteous mammon are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of life. Right? Let me me put this together. Unsaved, unchurched people are better at using their unrighteous mammon, their money, their wealth, to secure their temporal future in this world than we are at using our unrighteous mammon, our money, our wealth to prepare for our future in eternity. Are you getting that? Now look, we know, we know with certainty what the future holds. We know it. That one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. A little theology here. The judgment seat of Christ is not the same as the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment at the end of the book of, book of Revelation is the judgment of the lost and the unsaved. The judgment seat of Christ is for the judgment of believers, not for salvation. We will all be saved. Everybody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. We will all be saved. It's It's not a judgment about salvation. It's a judgment according to works. It's an evaluation of how well we stewarded the resources that God gave to us. And we know this is coming. But we don't do a very good job at preparing for it. We do, as compared to the people in the world who know that hard times may be coming, right? And they act shrewdly to prepare for it. We know a time is coming that's going to be very challenging when we stand before Christ and he evaluates the quality of our service. But we're not doing, Jesus is saying, you're not doing it. Sons of light are not doing a very good job preparing for that moment. How many are getting that? Right? 
Then he says in verse 9, takes it a step further. I say to you, make friends, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, when you die, they may receive you into an everlasting home. What does that mean? Well, look at what the servant did. He used the resources at his disposal. He used unrighteous mammon to prepare himself and to position himself favorably with the people of this world who would welcome them, welcome him into their homes when the time came that he needed them. You, Jesus says, you and me, us. He says, you need to be just as shrewd, just as aware, just as opportunistic as the sons of this age are. And if the sons of this age use every resource at their disposal to secure a temporal future, shouldn't you also be careful and prudent how you act in regard to your unrighteous mammon and how it prepares you for your future? And then he says, make friends for yourselves for use by use of unrighteous mammon. In other words, use your money now, your possessions now, your wealth and resources now to make friends who will receive you into the eternal home. Make friends in eternity by using your wealth now. How many are getting this? Make friends in eternity by using your wealth now. How do you do that? How can my wealth now, how can my unrighteous mammon Make friends in eternity. Well, how did the shrewd servant do it? Look at this. He realized that all around him were people who had a debt. A debt with their master that they could not pay. And the servant brought something to these people in debt. He introduced them to something called forgiveness. A way that their debt could be reduced or eliminated. He brought them a message of forgiveness, a message of release from debt. And by having them released from their debt, the day would come that they would welcome him into their temporal homes. Jesus said, make friends using your wealth that one day will receive you into the everlasting home. It's talking about people, hallelujah, who will welcome you into heaven who will be in heaven because you were on earth. You used your wealth on earth to support means and ministries that brought to them the message of forgiven, forgiveness. And now they are forgiven. Now they are saved. Now they are in heaven. They are in eternity because of how you used your unrighteous mammon to get to them the message of forgiveness and release from an eternal debt. Hallelujah. And when the time comes for you to leave this life, this life of working for the master, stewarding resources wisely, and you come in, imagine this, you come into that heavenly rest. There will be souls standing at the gateway of heaven to welcome you and to say, thank you. Thank you for supporting that missionary in Asia, that pastor in Africa, 
that church in Holmes, New York. It's because you used your unrighteous mammon not just to increase your square footage so you could have a bigger comfort zone in the temporary, but you used your unrighteous mammon for the kingdom of God for eternal purposes. I heard the gospel. I heard the message of forgiveness. And my debt has been erased. I am saved. My family is saved. And we are here to greet you and to welcome you because it is what you did with your unrighteous mammon that put that, that missionary in Rwanda or in India or in Colombia that brought the message of gospel, forgiveness of sins to me. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And then he says in verse 10, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you? Commit to your trust the true riches. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He's pointing back to the, true, the rules of this world. In this world, if you are competent, you will be rewarded with managing more. If you're unfaithful, you'll be seen as low-value, incompetent servant who gets nothing. It's the same in the kingdom of God. If you have not been competent with the wealth of this world, that unrighteous mammon that he has given you, investing in kingdom purposes, when you get to the kingdom, you're not going to receive those true riches. Now, you may be saved. You may have eternal life, right? But you will not be entrusted with greater reward. And this is an important truth for us today on Consecration Sunday. As we consecrate our businesses, our careers to the Lord, it's not about just praying a prayer or bringing an offering. It's about realizing that what the Bible calls unrighteous mammon, the money that we work for, the wealth that we receive, the wages that we are earning can either be our master or our servant. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You can either work for it and serve it so it'll give you a bigger, a bigger home and a nicer car and all these things of this world which will pass away or you can make that unrighteous mammon work for you for eternity. Amen? Hallelujah. So as we consecrate our careers to the Lord. Let's recognize that what's being produced in our careers, it's not just for this world's goods. It's for eternal purposes. Amen? Amen. So Pastor Linda is going to come, and I trust that you have uh, prepared yourselves this morning. We provided uh, these envelopes and these uh, cards that you can fill out your prayer request on, and uh, we're going to present them to the Lord. Pastor Linda is going to lead us in that. Amen. You are not dismissed. But we are going to act on the word that we've heard today. All of you should have an envelope with a card in it. If you don't, you can just raise your hand, and if you'd like one, our ushers will walk around the room. Uh, I trust that you're going to fill that card out, commit it to the Lord, 
put an offering in it saying, Lord, I'm going to put my money where my prayer is. And I'm going to help people in our community. I'm going to consecrate my career by giving so that others that have received financial hardship this year will be able to pay an electric bill and get back on their feet. So I'm going to ask you to stand. The worship team is going to lead us in worship. And after the offering has been taken and the worship is concluded, we're going to pray and lay hands over uh, the offering and the, and the consecration career consecration cards. So what I'm going to ask you to do as the worship begins is this section, you can come down this side aisle, place it in the box, and then go back up the center aisle to your seat and stand in worship. This section, you can come down this side aisle, place your offering and card in the box, and then go back up the center aisle. If you're watching online or you're not prepared in the room, to give an offering, put your card in. And if you're watching online, uh, you can go to missionchurch.com, click on the Give tab, and there'll be a drop-down menu that says Career Consecration slash Benevolence. And that will earmark your offering. 100% goes to Career Consecration. So as Pastor Chris and the team lead us in worship, I'm going to invite you to come forward, say, Lord, I'm consecrating my career to you, and put your offering your card in the box and then go back to your seats. God bless you as you come.